0: We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode.
1: Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast. I'm John McMahon. I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, John Kaplan.
2: Good morning, Cap. Good morning, Johnny Mac. How are you, buddy? Good. You? I'm doing good, buddy. Doing good. Really looking forward to the combo today.
1: Yeah. Well, Cap, you are familiar with our next guest who worked as a sales rep at uh, companies like Kronos, CPSG, and Blade Logic. Richard quickly grew through the ranks of sales leadership at BMC, Medallia, and Fuse before coming as, becoming a CRO at three different software companies, Dialpad, Monotate and Vibes. I actually don't remember Vibes, Richard, so we're going to have to talk about that. Then Richard became the founder of Gen Now Sales Consulting, and he just wrote a book on a critical topic in sales named The Champion's Sell, Five Elite Sales Habits to Building and Winning with Buyer Champions. Cap,
2: say hello again to Richard Rivera. Richard, it's good to
0: see you, buddy. Good to see you. Congratulations on the book launch. I appreciate it. Look, I mean, the two of you... uh, Spending this time with me and even sharing uh, the support of the book uh, means a lot. The two of you have been two of the most important people to my career. Uh, I always tell the story. I'm not even sure if it's a a perfectly accurate story, but back in, I don't know, 2005 or or so, I remember at Blade Logic, we're we're rolling along and and different people are doing their things. And when when McMahon brought you and Cap, you know my memory is that y'all really collaborated and put together the very first uh, version of command of the message for our team uh I was in I feel like I was in the very first uh course that you and Grant and John and all put together and to see the legacy of it over over the years is pretty awesome to know that you were there at the beginning um so extremely honored and grateful that you that you're both uh, sharing sharing this uh with me to support uh the champion cell
2: yeah, buddy. not Right back at you, dude. Right back at you.
1: <laughs> You're welcome, Richard. So let's talk about it, Richard. You just released a new book, The Champion Sell, The Five Elite Sales Habits to Building and Winning with Buyer Champions. Let's talk, you know, why'd you write it? Why'd you decide to write a book?
0: Yeah, I mean, fifth grade, I told my English teacher I wanted to write a book. Uh, my mom was an English teacher. Uh, that was, that was the one subject I feel like I, I, uh, didn't have to try too hard at it. Um, so I always want to write a book. I had different ideas over the years, uh, and, um, uh, it stays in the back of your mind. Oh, But the thing about the champion cell is I didn't sit down and go, I'm going to write a sales book. Basically when I train, uh, which is the, probably the most pa- passionate, purposeful part of, of what I do. So when I train people, you know, there's two aspects. Of course, we all have the playbook that we learned from you, man, and that, that's all your processes and your profile and, and your qualification methodology and your command of the message and all that. But what I feel like I've really prioritized over the years is also training on the craft of whatever it is, and predominantly that's sales and leadership. And for me, because I started in sales late, someone taking the time to actually teach me the craft of it, the how. Whatever it was, go get a meeting. Well, how do I get a meeting? Go run a discovery meeting. How do I do that? That's that over the years started forming, you know, concepts that I would teach that were, that were unique. And the feedback from the teams over the years was you you need to put all this together. And, and as it came together, uh, in 2018, I was consulting full time and it started coming together and I feel like I needed some meat behind it because the premise of everything was champions is people. So I studied incessantly studied psychology and understanding motivation and what causes a bias for action. How do we and why do we make decisions the way we do? And that kind of brought the science behind it to support these sales concepts that really just come from thousands of meetings. And so um, it, 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 it gave me some purpose for about three years as I was on the road, whether a a BA flight to London or or a hotel in New York, you know, taking the time to write here, here and there. And this year just kind of got to the finish line and and accelerated it. And to be honest with you, when qualified sales leader came out, it was kind of that kick in the butt going, man, look, just finish what you started and commit to it and do this. And uh I did, and I couldn't be happier. I'd love to hear the feedback from others, obviously. Um, but it, it's very satisfying. The last thing I'll say about a book is, and I'm sure I you and I've talked about this with, with your book. M- my only rule to myself was if I'm gonna write a sales book, it better impact somebody's commissions right now. Okay, this quarter, someone, if someone reads this book or listens to the audio book, if it can't impact their commissions this quarter, then I just wasted their time. So that's probably behind the three years, just rewriting and restructuring and making sure it would make an impact. Um, so that, that's how, that's how I got here. And, um, well, I think um, that's so important, it. Richard, that to focus on
1: not just why it's so important to have a champion, but, you know, like you said, how do I get a champion? How do I build a champion, develop a champion, test the champion? How do I do those things is, is really left out of a lot of the equations. You know, you, uh, let's right. talk a little bit about the five elite sales habits. Cause you put in. Your book, three common selling habits for reps, you know, intuitiveness, selling a vision and building champions. Can you walk us through why those three?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So as I, as I, as I iterated on really the focus of the book, there was no doubt it was going to be about building champions, um, and, and not just building them, but winning deals with them strategically. And, and, um, that basically revolves around the core premise of the book is I'm trying to teach people how to be elite sellers. Meaning, when you look at a sales force and there's 100 people on the sales force, there's usually about what 15, 20% that are really, really good. How do you become part of the 15, 20%? Right. Yeah. And, um, and so if you read the champion cell, if anything, whether you agree with it or not, you're going to hear a perspective on how to be elite. And I find that because we sell. Um, because we sell to human beings and they're so unpredictable, uh, personality wise and emotions, which I talk a lot about in the book, then we really have to focus on our habits, our routines. Because if my habits are centered around the mission I want to, I want to, uh, get as an outcome, I'll be better prepared to, 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 to cope with all the different personalities. So I wanted to focus on this concept of elite and I want to simplify that for people. As I said, yeah, I study tons of psychology, but I don't want anybody to feel like they need to, right? So simply when I looked at all of the elite sellers that I've either been a peer to, and you know, as well as I do, John, we've been around some amazing, um badass sellers right no over doubt. the years. No doubt. And, yeah. and I try to find the commonalities because there's a lot of stylistic things. And we try to replicate a lot of things that don't even matter their personality. So I, I wanted to bring it down to three things. First, really, the the underlying mantra of the book and the first words of the book are: "We don't sell the companies; we sell to people." And I know that sounds simple, but that's not a realization many people have. The intuitiveness that I see in elite sellers is the first thing. Um, When I I know Kaplan would relate to this, when I play football and when I coach football, you know, coach. There was a coaching role that you know, you, you will react to what you read. So what you, you know, what you read, you will react to and great coaches coach, the senses, they coach, the eyes, they coach, the hands. And in terms of intuitiveness, if you are reading the people, you will find the answers to the process. If you are reading the people, especially the people of power and influence, you will find the answers to qualification. And so, um, elite sellers are intuitive. And then when I, when I talk about elite sellers, leading a vision, it was just crazy. I would be on these meetings. We got acquired in 2000. What was it, John? 2006 was the IPO. So 2000, maybe eight was the acquisition. Right. And I start going on sales calls. Yeah, it was it 2008? I'm an overlay going on sales calls with a lot of BMC sales reps. And some of them were really elite. I went on a sales call with this guy, Keith Hoskisson. He was one of the elite sellers I've been around. Coach yes. Jane Thompson, Amy Gustafson. Man, they wouldn't talk about the product and what it did. They would find a way to get that buyer seeing how their life could be better, their personal life could be better because of what the product did. And I really related to that. So that's what I mean by elite seller, a vision. And then they build champions, period. They realize that no matter how charming or smart we think we are, uh If there's not a person of power and influence with access to real economic authority selling when we're not there, which is by the way, when most of the selling happens then they then they won't win and so they're real you know they're very mission oriented and into building champions and selling with champions. Those are the three things that I think uh, at a bottom level I just saw those are in elite sellers. I don't know if you guys agree, I don't know if you have perspectives on that.
1: No, I definitely agree. Let's focus on um, or ground the audience right now on how, how you define a champion. You you defined it in three criteria. Can you, can you walk the, through the three criteria just so we can ground the audience on what's the definition of a champion?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of different traits of champions. You know, the, the, do they have a great reputation and are they strong personality and all these things? But I think to have to keep it simple to three things, which you learned early on. Number one, they have power and influence in an organization. And you have to understand what power and influence mean. You know, typically power is a trait of strength. I can move something. I can make something happen. So power is really about authority, whereas influence is about people. So I may have an enormous amount of authority, but I can't influence people, right? I, I, can't, I can't find a way to get them to change what they're doing or change their mindset. So people with power and influence in an organization... Two, access to economic authority. I I wrote this book with with the intention to, to really attach to anybody selling any type of sell, any product or service in any situation you're in, whether it's a medical device, a pharmaceutical, a software product, there is an ultimate economic authority. Most sellers just don't take the time to really understand who that is. And we find that economic authority by two things. One, the definition of it. This is the person who has discretionary authority to say yes. A lot of people can say no in an opportunity, but there's usually only one that can say yes, even in steering committee decisions. And number two, besides the definition is when you, the number one question I get from reps is, well, how do I find out who the EB really is? And you have to really qualify the decision process. If I look at the steps, the timelines of each step, but then I look at the people involved in each step, I'll find this person with discretionary authority. So they have power and influence, access to an economic buyer. And the most important uh, trait of the champion, and at the end of the day, is the ultimate mission of the book, is I need to have someone of power and influence selling for me. Because we we just get so caught up in our perspective and without empathy or maybe without experience, we have no idea that the majority of the selling is not in our sales meetings. It's before and after our sales meetings. And if there's not a person of power and influence there, really reinforcing the message, handling their own objections, getting other people to see how this applies to them and how it's not a risk to their business. If we don't have that, the risk to, to, to our, to not only our deals, but our whole career is pretty huge. So access to the economic bar, power, power and influence of the organization and a willingness to sell force when we're not there. And it is and it is a non-negotiable and a non-emotional definition. Yeah. I like that a lot, well Richard. Yeah. Yeah. Really well said.
2: Do you have we, we talk a lot about evidence and making sure that we have evidence of these. So is there typical evidence in this definition?
0: Absolutely. It's, you know, we talk about evidence in the book too. I mean, at the end of the day, if I think I have a a potential champion, we call that a champion target. How do I get from a champion target and all the work I do to build them to knowing that I've got a champion and it is evidence? And so, what are the things that, what are the behaviors? If we say the ultimate objective is a champion is selling for us when we're not there, okay, so that means that they're doing stuff. Yeah. What are the, what are the most highest impact actions in my particular cell? Whatever it is, if I define what are the highest impact actions that I need to see and would want to see out of a champion selling on my behalf, every selling team should write those down, whether it's expanding decision criteria, if it's a heavy technical cell where there's going to be technical proof points, uh, uh, proven out in validation events and proof of concepts, then it's changing decision criteria and technical validation events if it's a sale where there's a lot of different people involved and I'm constantly going to sell through consensus, there's just going to be a lot of decision makers. It's going to be actions like getting me to the different decision makers so that I could build multiple champions. So when we think about testing champions, when we think about evidence of if I have a champion, it's really simple. What are the highest impact actions that I would want a buyer taking on our behalf? And I need to see evidence of that. If I don't see evidence of those specific things, I may have someone who likes this, but it's probably uh, it, you know it, it's probably a situation where I just haven't built a champion yet.
2: What advice do you have for companies to kind of get this instilled into the culture and the fabric of the
0: sales motion? Yeah, I think it always starts with people and ends with people. So your hiring profile and ensuring that you're prioritizing empathy in your hiring profile and emotional intelligence. And the fact that you're bringing people into your organization that think in terms of the buyer situation, even if we haven't been in it. Like, so first, I think you got to hire to empathy. Two, you got to have empathetic intent in your your process. So, So let's say you bring in command of the message to put in your messaging. That messaging has to be buyer focused. It has to be focused on, yes, our sellers need to know what our product does and how it's different. But the purpose of this messaging framework is to connect our people to the people who are going to take meetings and become champions. So a buyer-based messaging framework where every internal meeting, as we're talking about messaging, the majority of the conversations are on the outcomes that our solution drives. So having that just ingrained. And when it comes to the Friday forecast call, to me, in, in, a, in a sales culture if you want to change behaviors and mindsets, leaders have to approach that call as McMahon did for years with all of us with the intention of driving home the mindsets and behaviors that I want to change. I've got to reinforce those on the call instead of just asking, is the deal coming in? It's if I want a champion minded culture on my sales team, my forecast calls, my deal reviews where the whole team is listening and they're, and they're learning from each other. I have to, I can't let my leaders off the hook. If they're telling me there's a champion or a rep is telling me there's a champion, I have to take a couple of minutes to dig into why. Give me proof. What's some evidence? Walk me through that. And so you have to, you have to live it and breathe it and everything you do in your operating rhythm and make it, make the buyer the center, uh, not only the buyer, the center of your ethos, but champions, the center of your ethos, the power and, power and influential people that we target. I like that. So you said uh an outside in mentality.
2: So first yeah. make it about the buyer before you make it about yourself, have a common language and definition, and then have it instilled in every layer of the organization from top down in everything that you do in the operating rhythm is the is the advice that you're giving. I think that's great advice.
0: It is, and and John. There's a chapter at the beginning of the book called "The Evolution of Sales." I personally, I want to hear what you what you think. You're around so many different kinds of companies. I personally think we have to be more intentional now than we ever have been. You know, the evolution was man when sales really became a craft in the '30s and '40s, and you started seeing emotional based selling. Well, it's because there was no technology. You know, there was, um, and so you had to sell on emotion. You had to focus on people. Um, but as technology advanced in industrial age, the technical age, and now in the information age, what I have witnessed, and and we talk about with other sales leaders is the the sellers get so excited and passionate about the technology and what it does, especially because it's doing such amazing things nowadays, um, that they over-rotate and the leadership allows them to over-rotate. And they really believe it's all about the product and it's all about the innovation of what it's doing. It's t- instead of if I if I maintain my mission that we don't sell the companies we sell to people, regardless yeah. if it's the 1920s, 2000, whatever product we sell, the innovation enables us to connect to the people in a more powerful way. That's That's really what it's there for. So it's finding the balance in the organization with all the things that you just said of how can I have an organization who's still passionate, and articulate about our solution and what it does and how it's different, but realizing that that's not the mission. The mission is that they they take that innovation and excitement and passion to go build better, bigger champions. Yeah, I that's, think so. in a funny way. Sorry, Johnny, that's not yeah. how they're really
1: managed today. You got a lot of sales leaders that measure based upon activity and not accomplishment. So on the activities, it's get more meetings do more demos, do more presentations, do more POCs. And what they find is that the sales rep then goes into the lowest levels that they can connect to, and then they do more activities. And then all of a sudden, the same manager is asking them on the forecast call, where's your champion? When are you going to get to the economic buyer? Well, there's a discrepancy between how you told them to manage on activities versus how you're starting to measure them again on accomplishments. Is it disconnect?
0: Yeah, and I I agree. And, and that's why I go back to the comment I made. How do you make a champion-driven organization? We always we always talk about when you go into second and third line management, what are the things and how has it changed? And, and a lot of second and third line leaders, CROs, they convince themselves that just because you're in more of an executive role, that you admonish yourself from the sales craft on the front line. And I and I couldn't disagree more, especially in mid Midsize, small, small organizations. And, and, you know, when Abraham Lincoln went into the battlefield, he wasn't talking about the board meeting. You know, he was focused on the craft. And so when John McMahon gets on a on a forecast call as a third or fourth line leader, he, he's not going to let those second, first, second and third line managers off the hook if we don't have champions in the deals and we're not selling with the right behaviors, the whole business is going to fall apart. And so there has to be this reinforcement of the mission and accountability top down because managers will get caught up in, in, in the leading indicators and the numbers. Someone just has to give them that weekly reminder and reinforce the mission. And, um, you know, and I always used to say the CRO, if not me, then who will? Um, uh, So uh, that's it. The the book is really about the ethos of an operation, a sales operation. To me, I want to go back to something that you said that
2: I you know really feel strongly about, in agreement with you. As you talk about, you know, the evolution of selling and it going from you know building relationships to um, rotating on technology, and I believe we're the beautiful intersection of those two those two things come together is exactly where we are today is that elite sellers have the ability. First of all, elite sellers and elite companies, they believe that what they do matters. So the company has taken the technology and connected it to business outcomes and personal outcomes for individuals. So Mm. they believe what they do matters And when you walk into a company, because I like to say, if you don't believe what you do matters, why should anybody else? And then I believe the most elite sellers have the ability to get the people that they sell to in the same position that they believe what they do matters. And so it's that great intersection between where, you know, Great, highly differentiated technical requirements where we can come back and talk about that because that's a mouthful. But you sit right in between connecting technical outcomes to business outcomes. And I believe that's where elite sellers live today. They influence technical criteria with their differentiation and they emotionally connect the men and women that they call on to business outcomes for companies. So I, I highly, highly agree with you.
0: Yeah, what what they do matters. Yeah, I love it. And I've heard you say that before and it's defining who it matters to, right? And so it, we talk about having these champion targets, but but when you realize, okay, that is, they are now the focus of everything I'm doing. So if the purpose of my solution right, is to solve a set of problems, deliver a set of outcomes, it has to connect to these human beings. And oftentimes sellers will think, look, my message is like, a, it's like one of those toys that you throw at the wall that sticks. I'm just going to throw it at your company. I'm literally going to drive to your company. I'm going to get in the parking lot. I'm going to throw it on your wall and it's going to stick. And they And they get frustrated that it doesn't stick. It's because if you open the door and you went to the desk, there would be human beings sitting there. And there's a problem that they're suffering from. They can't solve it with their current solutions or there's outcomes that they need. And, and sellers don't realize this is, this is a simpler mission than we think. What we do matters. It has a purpose. And so my job, first of all, my company's job is to help me with the messaging so that I know what is it that I do that matters. But my job on a sales call is really simple. I've got to make a connection between what I do that matters so much to that human being and, and when it when you change your mission or what your objective is on, on something like a sales call it helps you to kind of chill out a little bit stop stressing about the other three four things you have to do and just say look I'm really just trying to make a connection here what I do matters but maybe it m- may not matter to you so let's see if I can make that connection to you that that's a big part of, of really what the, the book is about and I believe when I say that sales Elite sellers lead a vision. that's what I mean. They lead a vision of a human being. They attach what I do that matters so much to a to a positive future state that you need for yourself uh, that you didn't realize i could I could impact yeah, that's
2: one of the big uh, that's one of the big five habits that we're going to talk about here in just a minute yeah. uh, one of the things Johnny Mac, that I found unique in there was a lot of uniqueness that I found in the book. I think you did a really, really good job with it, Richard, and uh, congratulations on that. One of the things I really liked was um, these four champion tendencies. When I first looked at it, I, I was trying to figure out, what well, are these personalities of champions? And then you made it very clear, it's not, personalities. It's a bias towards action. So you've taken the concept of understanding, identifying, building, developing, testing champions, but adding this concept of understanding a bias for action, which I really, really like because not all champions are the same on a bias for action. We just assume if we have a champion, they have urgency and there's a buyer for action, but you went one level deeper and you talked about the differences of the bias for action. Could you walk us through your thinking there?
0: Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. I, it, when I got into sales, these these concepts were presented to me in a really simple way. And I appreciated that champion, access to the economic buyer, power, power and influence, willingness to sell for me when I wasn't there. We would go into deals and we would go, oh, we have a champion. They're the CIO or whatever. Right. And so I've got, it seems like on paper that they're a champion. And then all of a sudden on the forecast call, I, I want everybody listening. I, I, I want you to think about your experience, even the CROs listening, your experience as a, as a sales rep, and you're on a call and you're talking about a deal and you are trying to convince your manager that you have a champion. And, and the more you talk, the more that you seem incredibly foolish and, and realizing how deflating it is to realize that you don't have a champion. What I realized over time, it was the third part of the definition that they have a willingness to sell for you when you're not there or sell on your behalf. That means that you have evidence that you said, John, that they're taking action for you. And then I started relating it to my experiences and regardless of what I'm doing, there's just certain people that don't have a tendency to take action as much as we'd like. And it was really important for me that I didn't write a book that um, made sales even harder than it already is. So we don't need to learn personality types. And I mean, if you do, maybe that's interesting. That's way too much stuff to learn. You got the three definitions of a champion, right? Ultimately, in the third definition Someone's tendency to, toward, toward to take action has to do with them as an individual. And so that's all that really matters. If they're not taking action, they are not being a champion for us. So I looked at two different dimensions. One dimension is their, their, uh, their, their, how they appreciate the value of innovation. So you can look on an X and Y axis, kind of a four box. Do they appreciate the value of innovation or not? Because with what we're selling is something new and disruptive and innovative, and it gives them a reason to change. Some people just aren't going to appreciate that. The second dimension is their bias for action. Do they have a tendency to take action on things? And so I put them in these four buckets. So when I when I talk about the complacent, I I I want I want everybody to think about how many times have you been on a deal and there's a person of power and influence, they have access to an economic buyer. And they just try to do as little as possible. They don't have a tendency to take action, right? But they also don't really care too much about innovating their company and innovating their business. So what we see is um, that what we do matters. They don't really care that much, okay? They're just trying to um, keep a job, get to retirement, whatever it may be. So we call that the complacent. And there's a many, many businesses on the planet where they've taken complacent people and they put them in, place uh, positions of executive leadership. Then you have the teaser. Now the teaser meets with you and they're, it, they're, they're very verbose and, and they're, very, uh, they're very affirming about your value proposition. They tell you how great it is. It's amazing. What you guys are doing is amazing. Um, and they tease you that, that your solution is the right thing for them because they have a high value for innovation but they also have a very low bias for action. So they typically got in their executive position through politics and being charming and relationships, but they don't really want to expose themselves. So it doesn't mean that we don't have a deal. It means that we're going to have to find other people uh, in the consensus to go support them, people with more of a bias for action, even if they're lower level people, because they're a political figure, the teaser. And if they can support the teaser, then um, the teaser will will, support the purchase. Then there's the protector. Okay. So just tendency-wise, this is someone who does have a tendency to take action, but what they take action on are typically more risk-averse things. That's just how they're, they're wired based on their life, based on their situation. And the protector is a really good executive to have in a business. They're protecting their economics, they're protecting their systems, their data, et cetera. But they're gonna they're not going to really respond if it's all about the innovation so if you feel like you're getting objections from a protector you' you're really just getting them being aware that there's risk to the to, to the business so understanding that look I have a person who's willing to do something I've got to take the risk mitigating parts of my value proposition and I've got to emphasize those which sellers often don't don't prioritize as much they just want it to be about all the the exciting bells and whistles right but the the one that's my favorite and and really doesn't have a lot of faults is the transformer they both prioritize the innovation of uh, at the value of innovation they're seeking out ways to make the business better but they also have a bias for action those are typically the ones that make make your deal happen the the point though is number one, if I know the definition of a champion, those three criteria, that doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. It just means that I take the emotion out and when I decide, do I or do I not have a champion right now? And then the second takeaway is that if they're not acting for us, then uh, it doesn't really matter. They're, They're not acting out the purpose of the champion. And so different people have different tendencies. And if I can be aware of that and accept that, then what do I do in sales? I got to go find other people to fill their gaps and and to determine if I can put together a team of buyers that will make the deal happen. So uh, to me, I try to simplify it into four tendencies, but these are real people as I write them. And I don't know about you reading it, John. I mean, I think of specific people. I think of the names that I sold to over the years. So.
2: Yeah, I one of, that stuck out for me was the transformer. And on the surface, you're like, yeah, you know, I'd love to have transformer tendencies in a champion all day long. But as I sat with it for a second, I thought those sometimes can be tricky because they are the ones that kind of blow through the detail of the deal and the process. And, and what I mean by that is, and I'd like some discussion on this, how many times have we had a champion that just tells us, hey, and they're strong and there's evidence that they're strong and power and influence and they have urgency, but you're looking at their bias for action and they're actually alienating potentially people in the process. And why I think this is such important, important conversation today is many deals now are turning into a collective. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Or multiple people, multiple decision makers involved in, the opportunities or influences for your solution. There's very few technology solutions that don't have multiple tentacles. So could you talk about that a little bit? What do you do with a transformer that is kind of blowing past some of the detail of the buying process and
0: they might alienate some people that need to be involved? Does it make sense? Yeah. No, I love it. No, I, I write about it in the book. So for each of these tendencies, I don't just talk about uh, who they are. I give you ways to cope with each one because you're given who you're given. An old sales leader of mine told me, you know, I and I know it's an old song, said, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Right. And um, and sometimes that's all you got in the deal. Right. But there's a real value there. Right. And so to to your first uh, to your first observation, which I do talk about the transformer, just because someone is the person of power and influence that you need to target doesn't mean that they're a great buyer. First of all, okay, we assume they are. That's not their day job most of the time. They're a doctor, uh, they're a technician, you know, they're an operator, and so don't assume that they know how to buy and they're really really great at it. They don't talk about the craft of buying, you know. Uh, and so that's the first thing. The second thing is. To your point, the transformer is so ambitious for the organization, but especially when you sell in in bigger uh, companies, uh, but really in any organization, multiple parts of the book, I talk about selling to the consensus and realizing the consensus is the group of people that are all going to have to get aligned and committed to making this purchase decision. And typically what happens in business, which sellers aren't aware of because they lack, they, they either lack empathy, experience or both. They don't understand that that, that journey to get all of those different people aligned. Sometimes it's political. Sometimes they don't like each other. Uh, oftentimes when one tendency or point of view is very innovative and they want to make change, there may be three others who are telling you how that's going to, that's going to create enormous amounts of risk and disruption to the business. So what I, the way I guide you to cope with that uh, in the book is you as the seller, you realize that you're selling to a transformer. Take all of the goodness that comes from that. Build a powerful business case. Build a powerful value proposition. Get them on stage selling on your behalf. But then you become the protector. You find the reasons that this deal is going to go sideways. You You challenge and test that champion with very direct questions of decision process, the criteria of all the other people in that in that in that decision process in the consensus, most of the time, if they're a champion, this is an example of testing a champion, they'll go, oh, great Kaplan. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. You're right. We do need to get to Sarah and Michael and we need to understand their criteria. I know oh, what you're right. There probably are three or four steps that are going to happen. So maybe we should think about those steps and so you're being a respectful business partner, but you're really being the the protector here. Look, I want to protect the, making sure that this deal happens. And I'm just going to think like, you know, you don't think like, like a, like a d- detailed oriented person. I'm going to help you do that. Whatever personality or, you know, I should say whatever champion tendency you're selling with, that's what you want to do in sales. You want to recognize who you have and then fill their gaps. Um, just because if that's truly their tendency, th- that's not going to be their natural, the, their natural thought process. Yeah, the last i have
1: seen with the transformer really early on when you meet a transformer, and I've seen this happen, is they're su- they have such, as you said, a bias for action, and you haven't really figured them out yet, and they go too early to yeah. the economic buyer and try to sell the deal themselves. And then they get their ass handed to them because they haven't prepped. Yeah. And then you just lost the champion. So, I mean, early on, if you really have found a transformer, you got to try to reel them in early with some early questions on, you know, what, what the decision process is, who's involved and
2: how they're going to handle it. I, I love the, uh, the reference to kind of taking on the tendencies of the protector you're dealing with a transformer. Right. What I found is um, one of the easy ways to kind of bring it to attention is to just have a concept in your mind called what we heard. So as you and the transformer or you and the champion are building the, in, in my language, positive business outcomes require capabilities and metrics you can always refer back to what we heard and you can just put it on the table. You can put it on the whiteboard and you can ask the question. Now in a consensus sale or whatever the scenario is, an influence sale, you're working with the champion and you look at that, you say, okay, let's pretend we're XYZ department or XYZ organization. How do you think they'll feel about those capabilities or those outcomes? And it's a very, very mature way instead of, you know, slow your roll or you don't, you don't know how to buy in your own organization. It's asking really, really good questions and you're just gathering what we heard. So I call it the, what we heard concept. It works really, really well.
0: Like that. Yeah. I love it. And that, This is the first trade of elite sellers. They're intuitive and intuition comes from experience. John, uh, you know, Mac once said that instincts is this place between, you you know, your mind and your gut in the middle is your instincts and you can't build instincts. They come from experience. Yeah. And so the more deals you work, even the deals that you lost and you made some mistakes the more empathy that you can develop. And that's why I say that the champion mindset is what drives champion behavior. If my mindset is people buy from me, what are the experiences of people? They've got consensus. They've got to get this what we heard message. They got to get it aligned. They have to go through a bureaucratic process or or like John said, if, if they're going to go to an economic authority, they usually only have one shot and they could blow it up if they go too early. Elite sellers are intuitive, meaning that, That they have intuition of what's the negative consequence of the next thing happening or what's the negative consequence of this thing that I want not happening. And then having the empathy to realize, man, maybe that's not as easy for the buyer as I thought. Maybe I need to be their partner and find a way to make it happen. The three of us can sit here and talk about this level of intuitiveness and empathy. It's not what I've observed as the norm. You know, and so that's part of the that's part of the drive for writing the book. I believe the key to elite sales is really one thing. And that one thing is getting these people of power and influence, these buyer champion targets. It's getting them emotionally connected to what we do and committed to do something about it. That's to me, the one thing. Um, and it starts with empathy and and just the curiosity about what goes on on their side of the fence. That was a fantastic
1: discussion. We all know that we need to identify champions that can help us control the deal and help us gain access to the economic buyer to sell large deals. But what I loved is how Richard took the concept of identifying, building, developing and testing champions, but he added the concept of understanding a champion's bias for action. Because what we've all found out through experience is that not all champions have the same urgency to take action. We had such a deep conversation with Richard on his book, The Champion Sell, that we are breaking this interview into two episodes. So, join us next week for part two where John and I talked to Richard about the five elite sales habits and how that directly relates to interacting with champions. We also talked to Richard about a concept called commitment milestones and how to move your buyer to deal commitment. Join us for part two next week on the Revenue Builders Podcast. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com.